Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be your host for the next hour of information, entertainment, pleasantries, getting through a terrible disaster here in Butte County that it's getting better with the rain that happened last week. It's been a good relief on that. I know there's a lot of people still having lots of problems. I can also say that with all my client base who has been affected by the fire, the camp fire, there's a lot less pain when the giant insurance check comes. And that's what's been happening to some of my clients. The ones that were properly insured, I do understand the pain of losing original papers, of losing photographs, possibly pets. Uh, Of course, there was lives lost, so I don't happen to have any people in my circle and my clients group who have informed me that they've actually lost any lives, but I do have, uh, what I'm trying to say is that the pain of losing all the paperwork is definitely reduced when a giant check comes from the insurance company to not only replace your home, you get to also own your land down the road and sell it maybe, or rebuild on it. And even though you've lost your personal property, the payments I've heard about some of my clients getting for that personal property is very, I won't say it's high, I'll just say it's very fair. And I do know that the pain of losing your house can be somewhat offset by large insurance checks. So I'm just hoping that everybody affected by the campfire, hopefully there was good insurance in place and that will help to rebuild. I'm very looking forward to finding out how many people are really planning on rebuilding and how many might not. I'm not sure what that percentage is going to end up being, but I'm hoping that Paradise can get back on its feet with a lot of people deciding to stay. I know a lot of people express interest in staying, but it's uh, interest versus actually doing it could be, that could always be a little bit different. I do have a sad story of one of my clients. I haven't been able to get back to them, and when I did get back to them, I didn't get them. One of my clients actually had uninsured property in Paradise and lost it in the fire. That is a real problem. Tax-wise, I believe the campfire has been uh, pronounced a federal disaster area. When it's in a federal disaster area, the casualty loss rules come into play. The new 2018 tax law got rid of casualty and theft losses as a tax deduction unless the casualty is in a federally declared disaster area. That means that if it wasn't a federally declared disaster area, these losses wouldn't even be tax deductions, but they will be based on being a federally declared disaster area. To be honest, uh, I... Don't quote me on that. I believe it has been declared, but I remember as of a couple weeks ago, it hadn't when I looked it up, but I'm pretty sure it has. But don't don't quote me exactly. I have been extremely busy lately helping all of my clients with all of their questions. The entire world of the entire world of losses from a fire in tax lingo is called an involuntary conversion. So I wanted to fill you in on that. If you are a victim of the fire and you lost your home or business, or if you know someone who has, and most people here in Butte County either are directly affected or they know someone who is affected, an involuntary conversion is a fire, a flood. It can even be a eminent domain where the city takes a property to build a freeway, something like that. And that's called an involuntary conversion. And there's special rules, and here's the way... Here's the general bare-bones way that it works. The involuntary conversion and the insurance proceeds you get is treated pretty much like a sale of the property. Let's just throw out some numbers so I can try to illustrate this for you. Let's say you have a 
business building in paradise that you spent $100,000 on and you've had depreciation over the years of 60000 so the 100 you paid for it minus the 60000 of depreciation leaves you which what with what's called a basis basis for gain of 100 minus 60 so your basis in the property is $40,000 in our little story here your building was burned in the campfire unfortunately and the insurance has issued you a check for, and I'm just throwing these numbers out. I have no idea what they would have covered, what they might have covered. There's different types of insurance, but I'm just going to say they sent you a check for $150,000. You technically, it's like you sold the property for $150,000, and you're sitting right now with a gain of one fifty dollars of selling price minus forty dollars of basis, so you would have a taxable gain of 110. But this, quote, sale isn't really a sale. It's called an involuntary conversion. That involuntary conversion allows you time to reinvest the proceeds of the 150 in either the same location with a new building or another business building in a different location and if you spend that $150,000 within a certain period of time, and I'm not going to mention time limits here because I have not memorized them all. I don't want to give you any advice that could be taken to be wrong and I would mess you up. But it's definitely a good, fair length of time that you are entitled to to replace your property that was involuntarily converted. That's the basic rule of how these work. So everybody who lost a business building or a rental property in the campfire or in the Santa Rosa fire or in the car fire, you have these rules that you work with. If you don't end up replacing the property, in other words, if you just keep the cash in the bank and you don't rebuild your building, you then have a sale that was taxable. And if you you have to, rep in other words, on your 2018 tax return, if you're in the campfire situation, you will have to list this involuntary conversion and the proceeds on your 2018 tax return. If you don't replace the property like you say you intend to, you would have to go back and amend your tax return for 2018 later and then pay the tax that you should have paid before or you should have paid now. If you were somebody who says, you know what, I'm not going to rebuild, I'm not going to buy another business, I was going to retire anyway, I'm going to take this money and run down to Arizona and buy a mobile home and live near the London Bridge, if you decide to do that, you can just go ahead and treat this as a sale on your tax return and not tell them that you're going to replace, but you'll need to treat it like a sale because it's like you sold it for the 150 and there's no special... Um, rules on that. It's just a, it's just a real crazy situation with having this many actual fully, fully destroyed homes and businesses in one area. It's pretty incredible. And as you probably heard before, when they talk on the news about the campfire, it is the worst fire in California history. I suppose there's fires in other states, maybe. Montana or Colorado that have been, I know there's some that have been bigger. I would like to look up, I don't know, are there other fires that have destroyed this many structures? Maybe there are. I, I'm not an expert at that. What is actually happening, though, is a lot of people that were properly insured and have good insurance companies are getting recompensed, as they would say, and it really does ease the pain for people knowing that they now have extra money in the bank to rebuild, uh, buy things that they lost in the fire. Of course, obviously, you can't replace things that you can't replace, so that's that's totally uh, understandable, and I, I can see how bad that would be. To be honest, I don't know how bad it could be because it never happened to me. I was almost evacuated six or seven years ago during the Bidwell Park fire, but it didn't end up happening. So uh, 
I don't know how bad that would be, and I know it would be terrible. So my my thoughts go out to all the people who lost things, but I was just bringing up the fact that now that it's been it's been over three weeks since the fire, which was on November 8th, people are beginning to get money from the insurance companies, and it just isn't quite as painful now that they can kind of see whether it's, you know, that's not really light at the end of the tunnel, but it is... It is helpful, and, and that's why you buy insurance. That's why you always need to have insurance. A lot of people, there. I think there's an old expression, something like you really can't be over-insured. You can definitely be under-insured, but I really don't think you can be over-insured because when a disaster happens, it, it could wipe you out if you weren't insured and you had that much property that, that dollar amount go up in flames, literally. It's just unbelievable how bad that would be for your financial health. What I was looking up is I saw an article recently, and uh, honestly, today I'm just kind of, we're going to kind of have a, what do they call the one on Rush Limbaugh's show, the Open Free Speech Friday, I think he calls it. Well, I'm going to have a Free Speech Tuesday because I have... um, I have not, uh, I just didn't get a chance to print out what I wanted to print out for you today. So we're just going to kind of be casual and uh, just kind of go that way. What I did want to bring up, and I'm looking, I'm looking for the article. I'm going to find it here real soon. Let me see if I can find this. Okay. Well, anyway, I heard that there was a insurance company in trouble with all the losses they're having from the campfire. And I don't want to assume that I have that. Uh, I don't really have the article in front of me, so I won't get into that. My point on that issue is that insurance is something you should shop for and you should concentrate on making sure you've got a good insurance company with good track record. I'm already seeing among all the clients who have losses in this fire, I'm already seeing that there's a big difference between certain insurance companies. Some are some have been definitely better than others. Of course, I won't mention any names, but a couple weeks ago I had a guest on from one of the companies and we did talk about his company name. And they're the one that I've so far seen being the best as far as treating the customers well with their quick reimbursements and their fair reimbursements, I'll call them. Sometimes they seem more than fair. I had one client this week tell me they're looking for the good local charity that will help fire victims because they feel so blessed with the amount of cash they've gotten since their rental burned down in paradise. And that's how that's how blessed they have been with these insurance proceeds. Just like everyone else, what I just talked about with involuntary conversion, these people are planning on reinvesting their proceeds, and they probably will never pay tax on this gain, and they'll end up with replacement property worth the amount of the total sale, not sale price, but the proceeds from the insurance. So it's going to be a win-win for them. It's not a win-win because their place burnt down, but no one was hurt and uh, everybody got out safely. So that's really, I, you know, once once everybody's out safely and no lives have been lost, then I say if, you know, if there's money and, and there's insurance proceeds that uh, are more than cover your real expense of rebuilding, I'd say that's a not a bad thing. It's not a bad deal. And some of my clients are doing okay because they had good insurance. We're coming up on break number one. This whole fire, it's really made an interesting situation in Chico. The traffic has been way bigger than usual. And one of my clients was going to raise their rent on their rental house anyway. But now that the DA came out about the gouging after the fire, they weren't allowed to do that. Even though their rent on this rental is way below market anyway, 
and they have a long-term tenant that they really haven't hardly raised in years and years. It's interesting, though, that the anti-gouging laws do seem to be being enforced real well, and that says a lot for our community, knowing that people aren't doing that. I could honestly see that that would be more of a problem in a big city, maybe in, I don't know. I think a big city would have more of that going on. But that's just my feeling because I'm I'm very biased. I like Chico and I like Meat County. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back after the short break. Here's Rick Box, founder of Unconventional Business Network, with today's Integrity Moment. This week, we're discussing four insights the Apostle Paul shares in Ephesians 4.29 that can help guard our tongues against gossip in the workplace. The first insight is unwholesome words. Some time ago, I had a radio interview with a host unknown to me previously. Afterwards, a friend asked how my interview went. I began criticizing the radio host's style. God's spirit convicted my heart that I had just undermined this radio host's credibility. My words were unwholesome, and I vowed to guard my tongue in the future. Proverbs 21:23 teaches, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Unwholesome words are any words that might hurt others. We should choose words carefully. Stopping workplace gossip begins with us guarding our tongue from unwholesome words. To learn more about Unconventional Business Network and doing business God's way, visit unconventionalbusiness.org. That's unconventionalbusiness.org. Hi, this is James McDonald from Walk in the Word. Hey, it's always great to hear that a new station partner has come on board. If you've heard our broadcast, then you know I'm passionate about sharing the truth of God's Word. To get fired up about your relationship with Christ, join me each weekday on Walk in the Word. And be sure to check out all the resources available to help you grow strong in the Lord. Just go to our website, walkintheword.com. Join us for Walk in the Word, weeknights at 6 p.m. here on KKXX. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be your host until the end of the hour. It's been just a crazy month. We've talked about the campfire and people have lost their houses. They don't have a place to stay. I know some people are in a motel room in Sacramento even because they couldn't find a place nearby. I think everything pretty much sold out probably within that first night. It's just a... When they say when you say a complete disaster, I use that term loosely in conversation, you know, sort of as a metaphor. Oh, what a complete disaster. But that just doesn't sound right anymore because this this type of thing, this uh, fire is a complete disaster and it's uh it's interesting to actually be right in the middle of a a, a true complete disaster. It's scary. I wanted to talk about another tax issue. It's not a U.S. tax. It's not a local tax. It's not a state of California tax. The fuel tax hike in France. Have you followed that at all? I'm not sure what the national news is saying because I try not to watch national news. I do watch local news. I enjoy watching the local Chico and Reading news. I usually see part of that every day. But I'm curious if you're seeing on the national news anything about what's called the yellow vests in France. They've had protests. I believe they said they're expecting 120,000 protesters uh, this week. Uh, They've had kind of like rioting. Supposedly it started from this fuel tax. Now here's the thing about this fuel tax. This fuel tax in Europe is, it's part of the, it's sort of like the UN carbon tax, global warming resolving tax that they want to do worldwide. And I, as usual on Business Buzz, I try not to get super political and I don't want to take sides. 
What I'm trying to say in this French riot situation is that, in my opinion, people are tired of these globalist ideas that we're all supposed to be one one group of people going for the same goals like climate change, and we're all supposed to agree to everything. Right or wrong, when Trump came in, he canceled that TTP agreement, which, from what I've read, would have basically ceded court decisions of our own court system in the U.S. to an international unelected system of corporate court decisions. And I'm not going to claim to be an expert, but correct me if I'm wrong. This whole thing about globalism versus nationalism, I believe it's a major factor in things like these European riots. And if this giant tax situation that the UN wants to impose for climate change, the reason I'm bringing that up is that today's article in Zero Hedge says, Update, despite French President Emmanuel Macron letting his people eat cake with a six-month suspension of the government's new climate change fuel taxes, the so-called Yellow Vest movement, which has been protesting throughout France for more than three weeks, is still spitting mad. We didn't want a suspension. We want the past increase in the tax on fuels to be canceled immediately, said Yellow Vest organizer Benjamin Kochi. On BFM TV. I don't know what BFM stands for. Suspending the tax to reinstate it in six months is taking the French people for a ride. French people aren't sparrows waiting for crumbs from the government. The president's silence drew the wrath of some. Macron has still not deigned to talk to the people, said Letitia DeWall, a yellow vest spokeswoman. We feel his disdain. He maintains his international engagements but doesn't speak to the people. Sebastian Chenu, a spokesman for Marine Le Pen's far-right National Rally Party, which has supported the Yellow Vests in hopes of capturing their votes, said that the French won't be fooled. The government has understood nothing. It's just playing for time. I think it's important to realize that this is probably another nationalist movement happening in a very globalist environment, which is Europe and France, this could lead to major changes in the European political makeup. I don't know. I'm not a political expert. I read a lot of political news just because it's kind of fun. It's kind of like my hobby. I try not to dwell on it, but I think it's important and in my opinion, this yellow vest thing could be the start of something big. And if, in my opinion, I don't know if you realize, but the EU, which is the European Union, they only started with, I know their currency started, I believe, in 1999. I think that's when the EU started. Britain joined the EU, but they didn't go to the euro as their currency. They kept their currency. I believe Sweden may have kept their currency, but they joined the EU. I believe Ireland still uses the British pound. I'm not positive. I'm not a world traveler. I haven't been to Europe since I was a teenager. What I'm trying to say is that the EU itself is an unelected government. The, people, the capital of the EU, which is European Union, is in Brussels, and that's in Belgium, and it's not an elected body. I guess it's appointed probably by European banks. I really, I'd have to look into that. I'm not an expert. What I am an expert at is the fact that it is unelected. There's a lot of European people that really aren't that happy with being dictated to by an unelected government. That is a very different animal than we have here in the U.S. I think this whole yellow vest thing could be the start of the unraveling or at least the major changing of the EU. We already have the Brexit vote where England is supposed to leave the EU under a bunch of, a bunch of conditions. 
Italy is to the point of going bankrupt. They wish they had their own currency so they could do like we do and print their way out of trouble, at least temporarily. It's interesting because these countries gave up their right to their own treasuries. They joined the EU. It's only been less than 20 years. It's already looking like a failed experiment. And if you read back on who started this whole EU, it's not the European people at all. There was no vote on it. Uh, it, it was voted on one country at a time, but there was no popular groundswell to make a European Union. This is the idea of people who run things, not of people who have to live under the rules. That is what, in my opinion, the European Union is. Uh, like I say, not an expert, not a political science major. I don't play one on television. I'm just say, telling you what I do know from what I read. There's a lot of disgruntled people in Europe, and a big reason for it is they have an unelected government telling them what's going to be. And, you know, as an American, you know people don't like that. My fav- One of my favorite cartoons of all time, whenever, whenever I have people get into a discussion about the Second Amendment and the gun rights, and this relates to what I was just talking to, and I'll be coming up on the bottom of the hour break soon, but one of my favorite cartoons was a guy with a three-cornered blue hat out in his cornfield, and the British redcoat with the big gun over his shoulder said to the American patriot Minuteman farmer type guy, the British guy said, now, what would you need an assault rifle for? I'll never forget that cartoon, and I I always think about that cartoon whenever the idea of the Second Amendment comes up. Not being political, not saying whether I am a gun owner or not, but I will just say that I think there is some value to keeping some American values in the midst of all this worldwide craziness stay tuned to business buzz i got plenty more great information coming your way i'm harold littlejohn cpa stay tuned for a short break Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX. Two Nicks, that's right, double Nicks, Nick Guy, Private Eye, and Mr. Nick of We Kids. Must be true. Saturday mornings between 9 and 10 here on KK Nicks Next. KKXX AM 930, we're also on 104.5 FM. And give it a shot, put us in your auto dials on your radio. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be your host for the last couple of segments here on another Chico afternoon. I can't say sunny Chico afternoon because we are heading into the getting near a winter time. We're still a few weeks away from winter, so it's still the fall, but it kind of feels like the first couple days of real cold weather sort of feels like winter's here, but not technically we're not there yet. I'm falling back on one of my favorite authors today just to reaffirm my commitment to helping you. One of my main topics on Business Buzz is just making sure that when I talk about all the people who've lost their homes in the campfire, we're talking, I've spent a lot of time talking about insurance and how great it is to have had insurance when that house burned to the ground. One of my favorite topics is helping you with your money insurance, and I'm going to do that more today here for a few minutes. One of my favorite authors is Egon von Greyers, and he does not mind if I plagiarize his work by reading some of his work because I'm giving him credit. His website is called goldswitzerland.com. He's a Swiss guy. He speaks English, but he writes in Swi- in he writes probably German or cuz in Switzerland they speak three different languages, but I'm sure he's German. He writes in German and it gets translated. So sometimes it kind of works out like a Google Translate, but he does speak English when I hear him on his interviews. So I'm going to read part of an article from uh, the date on this article was November 23rd, not too long ago. And it's called Banks Are Blocking Client Assets. And I'm just going to read a few choice parts of this because the way he writes is kind of entertaining. The risk of holding cash or gold in a bank is increasing continuously. Later on, I discuss the difficulties bank clients encounter in taking money or gold out of their bank. The word risk can be traced back to Greek via Latin to root or cliff. These were the dangers that Odysseus encountered when he sailed between Scylla and Charybdis, a rock and a hard place. So root and cliff were the risks that sailors encountered in the sea. A more modern interpretation of risk is identification and evaluation of dangers that could prevent us from reaching our objectives. Very few have the ability to identify the enormous risks that we are all facing on a global scale. And for the very few who can identify the risks, not many have the ability to evaluate them or to take protective measures. The world is unprepared for what is coming next. Maximum risk requires maximum protection. But if most people don't even see the risks, it follows that very few take any protection. Thus, the world is totally unprepared for the coming calamities in the world. Even at the highest level, governments focus on the usual political problems rather than the most urgent issue of the world economy. Relative to a potential collapse of the financial system and the world economy, the domestic problems in, for example, the U.S., U.K., France, and Germany are insignificant. But these internal problems clearly occupy the leaders' minds totally, probably because they have no understanding of the massive dark cloud that is hanging over the world economy. Brexit, a failure. In the UK, there is Brexit, which Theresa May has made a total mess of. The British people voted to leave the EU, but all Mrs. May has achieved after two years is an agreement which leaves the UK with almost all of the EU's obligations and laws, but without any say or influence. On top of that, the UK is paying Brussels 39 billion pounds for the pleasure. I'll just throw in here that 39 billion pounds is around 45 or 50 billion dollars. Will May survive? Will Brexit not happen? Nobody knows at this stage. But what we do know is that Brussels, as well as France and Germany, are desperate to hold this artificial edifice together. With problems all around and opposition growing within the EU, It will only be a matter of time before the EU breaks up. The coming economic downturn will see to that. Western leaders are out of favor. 
both Merkel and Macron, and I'll interject here, Merkel is the president or prime minister of Germany, Macron is the president of France, are now very unpopular in the polls, and they are most likely spent forces. Only 17% of Germans are satisfied with Merkel, whilst Macron has a 29% approval by the French. In the U.S., Trump's popularity rating is around 40%, but he is now a lame president and will not get any major decisions through both chambers. When the economy and the stock market turns down within the next two years, Trump's ratings will decline rapidly, as they do for all presidents in a declining economy and stock market. Political and financial turmoil looming. Thus, the picture is similar in all major Western nations. The popularity of the leaders is waning, but this is just the beginning. As stock markets and the economy turn down, there will be political trouble in most countries with frequent elections, no confidence votes, or impeachment attempts. This will all be part of the massive political and economic turmoil which the world will experience in the next few years. So is there a solution? In my view, no. With $250 trillion of debt and another two quadrillion derivatives and unfunded liabilities, the world cannot print itself out of trouble. You cannot solve a problem by the same means that created it in the first place. But since central bankers have no other weapons in their armory, they will still print unlimited amounts of money. It will probably be new electronic or crypto money in order to diffuse the situation. I would not be surprised to see the dollar turned into a cryptocurrency in order to fool people into believing that this has now solved all the debt problems since the current U.S. debt will be settled in a new crypto dollar. IMF boss telling central banks to issue digital currencies. IMF is the International Monetary Fund. They kind of run the whole central bank systems grouped in, in the world. That was my talking. Here's back to the article. The IMF boss, Christine Lagarde, has just stated that central banks must work quickly to establish digital cash or cryptocurrencies instead of the existing private networks that were inherently unstable and also havens for fraudsters and money launderers. It has long been clear to me that governments and the IMF would never allow private cryptocurrencies to become a major payment method. Instead, as Lagarde proposes, government-issued cryptos will become a system regulated by central banks. A crypto dollar will be the perfect new fiat money to be issued when a currency reset comes. But more currency creation and manipulation will do nothing to solve the world's debt problem, even if this will be the deceptive spin that governments will tell us. Debt cannot be inflated away. The more pressure the financial system comes under, the more panic moves governments will take. Whatever they do can never get rid of the debt. It can't be inflated away since that just increases the debt, nor will it ever be repaid. Since debt has grown exponentially in good times, no one should expect that the world could repay it in bad times, especially since in the coming downturn, central banks will lose control of interest rates which will rise rapidly as the bond markets panic and default. Since 1971, the world has been in a perpetual debt expansion. It actually started in the early 60s, and the U.S. has increased the federal debt every single year since then. Then, when Nixon took away the gold backing of the dollar in 1971, money printing became a free-for-all bonanza of most governments. So much easier to print money whenever there was a need than try to make ends meet. And this has been the rule not only for governments, but also for individuals as global debt grows exponentially. Gold will resume its role as the only real money. So I'm not going to get uh, into that part of this article because I've read quite a few of Von Greyer's articles. What he does get into is that there are now rules even in Swiss banks that if you withdraw a certain amount of money uh, from a Swiss bank, it requires board approval before you get your money. And Von Greyer says this way, it is, of course, totally ridiculous that a client cannot take out his own money or assets of the bank, but this is the way things are going. Not only are banks unsafe institutions to keep your money or assets in, 
But once the bank has it all, you can't get it out. So the point of this whole thing and the reason I read these articles for you is that we are living for 47 years since 1971 in a system where the currency has nothing behind it. There's no gold attached to it. Supposedly they call it the petrodollar because they forced the entire world to buy and sell oil using U.S. dollars. That's why whenever you hear the dollar, whenever you hear people say the dollar is the world's reserve currency, that's because it was designated that way when they forced everyone to buy and sell oil in dollars. The problem now is that we have the entire eastern part of the world, Russia, China, Brazil, all these other countries are actually trading on their own with oil and avoiding using the U.S. dollar. That's why whenever you hear that expression reserve currency, if the dollar stops being the reserve currency, which it likely will, as the rest of the world leaves it, what else do we have left in our arsenal, like he says in these articles, other than printing more U.S. dollars? When that happens, your money is worth less. And in fact, you're losing money right now in the bank because if inflation, they say it's around 2%, I'm saying it's at least 5 or 6%. It's probably more like 8 or 10% in reality. If inflation is even 5%, but the bank's only paying you 1% or 2% at the most on your savings, you're losing money every day because that gallon of gas that costs $3 today will cost $3.15 at least a year from now, but your bank account only grew to $3.04. If you understand, that's how it works. You're getting paid virtually zero for putting your money at risk in the bank. Time flies when you're having fun, and I know that since you had time to spend with me on Business Buzz today, you are having a fun afternoon. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be right back after this final break, and we'll talk a little more about some very entertaining subjects. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. What I'm about to tell you is really unbelievable, shocking, and tragic. Here it is. A group of abortion activists are traveling across the country on a book tour. They are promoting their recently published book called Shout Your Abortion. This tour and the book are meant to proclaim abortion as a positive human right every woman can be proud of and promote as a right of equality. Well, we at Pacific Justice Institute pray that the dark veil covering the eyes of abortion activists be pulled away so that the light of Christ will shine before them to stop promoting and celebrating the murder of innocent unborn children. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. God has abundantly blessed America. Our founding fathers knew and understood the laws of nature and of nature's God that prosper a people in harmony with them. Most assuredly, people that seek first God's ways of universal righteousness, spiritual prosperity, create the environment of peace, harmony, and blessing that naturally pave the way to material prosperity. America, bless God. Well, if you hear Bachman Turner Overdrive on KKXX, you're probably listening to the fourth quarter of Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm glad you have a chance to spend a little bit of your afternoon with me. I hope you're okay if you had a casualty from the campfire. I hope everybody 
is safe, and I hope that your house insurance was in place like your money insurance should be in place. And I want to go just for a minute here after reading that Von Greyer's article in the last uh, segment there. Money insurance is gold and silver. There is no other asset that doesn't have what's called counterparty risk. You should have some of your money, some of your wealth in some physical gold and silver. There's lots of nuances as to how to store it properly, how to keep it safe, the best way to buy it. Don't overpay for it. Don't buy a collectible piece of gold. It's fine to be a coin collector. Don't buy collectible coins for your money insurance because all you really need is the metal itself. Here's the trap some people make a big mistake when they first start. They see an ad on television that says, buy gold. And the person listening agrees and says, yes, I want to I buy gold. But instead of calling Harold Littlejohn and asking him a way to buy gold and get recommended to buy maybe straight gold bullion, maybe U.S. gold coins, but not the real collectible kind, some people end up calling one of these ads on the television, and lo and behold, they have $5,000 to invest, and instead of buying four ounces of pure gold, which is what you can get for $5,000 right now with gold being around twelve forty an ounce today, they get conned, and I will call it conned, I'll call it suckered, they get conned and suckered into buying one very expensive proof gold coin that's a coin collector rarity that's probably worth about $2,000, but they get suckered into buying it for 5000 And they thought they just invested in gold, but then they, if they ever need to sell that coin, they find out that it's really only worth 2000 What I'm saying is coin collecting is great. I've done it. I did it as a child. I still like to do it. It's fun. But it's not how you insure your money. You insure your money with gold and silver. It can involve U.S. silver coins. It can involve U.S. gold coins. But it does not involve very high-end collector coins like a $5,000 ounce of gold coin. That is not the way to insure your money. I guess the bottom line on this is if you have questions about how to invest in gold, you should contact Harold Littlejohn. I'm always available to talk. My number is 895-3353. The area code's 530. If I'm not there, you can leave a message. I will get back to you. You can also email me, harold at hlittlejohn.com. I'd be happy to answer your questions if you're a beginner of some of the ways to begin investing in silver and gold and it's fun for about a hundred and twenty dollars you can buy a nice gorgeous roll of kennedy half dollars that's one of my favorite ways to buy silver and those are nice coins and they're 90 percent silver with the remaining few minutes i'm going to take it easy here i'm going to lighten the load i'm going to help you out at the same time I'm going to help you while I help myself. How's that? My favorite book is right here in my hand. I've got the print version. It looks like a Bible with the little blue uh, place marker in the middle. You know, the blue ribbon. It's got one of those. And this book is not a Bible. It's called A Course in Miracles. Some people think it's blasphemy, but I call it My Little Helper. Every time I have a stress problem, every time I have a people problem, every time I have an issue in my life that is causing me consternation, keeping me awake at night, giving me stress, I turn to this helping book. And it helps me every time. So I'm going to read part of Lesson 88 and part of Lesson 89. And it's the review of some previous lessons in the workbook. And like I've said before, this book has a 365-lesson workbook, but it takes you a lot longer than a year to get through this thing. 
I've been reading this book now for 10 years and I'm still not I'm still not all the way through the workbook and I'm de- and I've I've read the text numerous times. I've listened to it on audiobooks very many times, but this book will be with me for the rest of my rest of my days. It's that it's that deep and it's that entertaining and interesting and it's that helpful. I'll I'll never be done with it. So I'm going to just read Lesson 88, which is a review of Lesson 75 and 76. So Lesson 75 is called The Light Has Come. In choosing salvation rather than attack, I merely choose to recognize what is already there. Salvation is a decision made already. Attack and grievances are not there to choose. That is why I always choose between truth and illusion between what is there and what is not. The light has come. I can but choose the light, for it has no alternative. It has replaced the darkness, and the darkness has gone. These would prove useful forms for specific applications of this idea. This, and this is like a quote, This cannot show me darkness, for the light has come. The light in you is all that I would see, so-and-so. I would see in this only what is there. So those are ways that you put these uh, daily work lessons into play. I like that one. The light in you is all that I would see, so-and-so. You fill in the name. So if you have somebody yelling at you or you have somebody giving you the wrong answer at the teller window or whatever you're doing today, just look at that person and forget about what you're there for and forget about that bank deposit they got the wrong amount on or something and just look at them and don't say it out loud but in your mind just say the light in you is all that I would see teller so that's how that lesson works now I'm going to go forward to one of my favorites which is lesson 79 this is a review of lesson 79 it's in lesson 90 and it's a review The title of Lesson 79 is, Let Me Recognize the Problem So It Can Be Solved. Let me realize today that the problem is always some form of grievance that I would cherish. Let me also, now this applies, I'm just going to interject here, this applies to any problem you have. A people problem, a money problem, a fire problem, an insurance problem, a math problem, a child problem, a parent problem, a spouse problem. This applies to any problem you like. I'm going to start over. Let me realize today that the problem is always some form of grievance that I would cherish. Let me also understand that the solution is always a miracle with which I let the grievance be replaced. Today I would remember the simplicity of salvation by reinforcing the lesson that there is one problem and one solution. The problem is a grievance. The solution is a miracle. And I invite the solution to come to me through my forgiveness of the grievance and my welcome of the miracle that takes its place. I'm going to interject here again. If you've heard Business Buzz in the past, when I do talk about the course, a miracle is simply a shift that you make in your mind to step back and observe your thoughts instead of being your thoughts. You're going to reach that higher level within your mind. That is the miracle. Specific applications of this idea might be in these forms. And these are things that you would say to yourself when you're thinking about a problem you have during the day. This presents a problem to me which I would have resolved, which I would have resolved. The miracle behind this grievance will resolve it for me. The answer to this problem is the miracle that it conceals. Okay, that was a little summary of Lesson 79. And I'm going to read on with a summary of Lesson 80. Title of Lesson 80 is, Let Me Recognize My Problems Have Been Solved. I seem to have problems only because I am misusing time. I believe that the problem comes first and time must elapse before it can be worked out. I do not see the problem and the answer as simultaneous in their occurrence. That is because I do not yet realize 
that God has placed the answer together with the problem so that they cannot be separated by time. The Holy Spirit will teach me this if I will let him, and I will understand it is impossible that I could have a problem which has not been solved already. These forms of the idea will be useful for specific applications. I need not wait for this to be resolved. The answer to this problem is already given me if I will accept it. Time cannot separate this problem from its solution. Now, I think what I'd want to do right now, since I just have a few more minutes on business buzz today, is I want to read Lesson 80. I want to read it in full because I've got time, and I want, I want to get into this because this is really a good one. Lesson 80, let me recognize my problems have been solved. If you are willing to recognize your problems, you will recognize that you have no problems. Your one central problem has been answered and you have no other. Therefore, you must be at peace. Salvation thus depends on recognizing this one problem and understanding that it has been solved. One problem, one solution. Salvation is accomplished. Freedom from conflict has been given you. Accept that fact, and you are ready to take your rightful place in God's plan for salvation. Your only problem has been solved. Repeat this over and over to yourself today with gratitude and conviction. You have recognized your only problem, opening the way for the Holy Spirit to give you God's answer. You have laid deception aside and seen the light of truth. You have accepted salvation for yourself by bringing the problem to the answer. And you can recognize the answer because the problem has been identified. You are entitled to peace today. A problem that has been resolved cannot trouble you. Only be certain you do not forget that all problems are the same. Their many forms will not deceive you while you remember this. One problem, one solution. Accept the peace this simple statement brings. Now, I'm going to just stop there because that needs a little bit of explanation because it's easy to read that and say, huh, okay, Holy Spirit, thanks for that, but I have a rent payment due and it's going to be late after the 5th and it's 1200 bucks, and I only have 800 in my bank. So you tell me the problem is solved. How do you reconcile that with the real life? And the, re- the way you have to look at this is this. The problem is on the level that we're at here in the world. The level of the world has problems. In fact, the reason for the world existing is to make problems. It's to reinforce the fact that you think you think this world is real. That's the, that's the basis of this Course in Miracles. That's why I like it so much. Whether it's even correct or not, no one will ever know. But if it helps you get through the day, the object of the Course from the very start is stated that it's the object of the, of the Course is peace of mind. That's all it's here for. It's not here to get you to win the lottery. It's not here for your bank account to grow. It's not here for anything but peace of mind. What this thing about the one problem, one solution is saying, in my interpretation, because I'm not, I cannot say that I am the expert on this book. It's, it's too in-depth to be the expert on, for anybody to be. The one problem, one solution means that you step back, you observe your thoughts when you think you have a problem, you say things in your mind, to people like that one I went over before. And you look at the light in people. You treat people as if they were an extension of yourself. You look at them and think that they, you treat them as if they are your thought that's being projected in front of you. And that is the miracle. And that is the one solution to the one problem. They're all the same. We have two different levels of our mind. We need to step back and get our mind into that higher level as often as we can. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Thank you for spending some time with me today. I hope everything's going well. I'll see you next time on Business Buzz. Don't miss me Tuesdays at 3. KKXX Paradise K280GL 
Chico. And K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. And now join us for a Sunday sermon rebroadcast from Pleasant Valley Baptist Church featuring Pastor Tim Rule. You can check out Pleasant Valley Baptist at pvbaptist.org or on Facebook search for PVBC Chico. And I read it all the way through. I, when I was teaching school, I would lay it on my desk. I got in trouble by the assistant principal says, you, you can't have that on your desk. And I said, well, as long as I'm teaching here, I'm going to leave this on my desk. And so every year I got rode up for that for the three years I was there. Then I went to Indianapolis, Indiana. My wife and I moved there with our little daughter, Amanda. And uh, I became the administrator of a Christian school. 